When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story podcast. I am today's guest host, Simon Brooks, and I have some stories for you. But these stories are not for young ears. The stories today are not for young children. This is an episode for grown-ups, not little people. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away. And maybe bring you back safely. Maybe. The stories for this episode are spooky and may have moments that may not be suitable for young listeners. If you are responsible for tender ears, you might want to listen first or forge ahead and enjoy the chills. This happened a long time ago, way before I had Mo, way before I came to the States. I play the drums and have since I was about 10 years of age. In my teens, we, my bandmates and I, decided to hold a sponsored jam session where we would play non-stop for 24 hours and raise money for charity. It was for either the World Wildlife Campaign Foundation, Federation, Greenpeace or Cancer Research, I can't remember, we used to do a lot of these things. We were playing in the attic of an old building in Worcester in England. We had been told of how the place was haunted, but we thought people were just winding us up. There were stories of how chairs stacked themselves, desks moved around at night, and other stories. We started at about 6pm and began playing our set, jamming around a bit, working on new songs and the like, and night time drew on. We had friends and supporters to help keep us awake, but at 2 in the morning, everyone was lagging. There was a room which had been filled with pillows and sleeping bags, and as someone else was playing the drums, I decided to take a nap but I couldn't fall asleep. Not because of the music, that was dulled enough, and we were, after midnight, playing softly. I kept having this feeling, something very odd was in the room, an energy that was not a good energy. Anyway, me and Andy went downstairs, he was a bass player, we went downstairs to pee. Now you might wonder why we were both going. Well, the lights were off, and the switch was downstairs, where the only working toilet was. I knew the building well, Andy did not, so I was leading the way. There was a spiral staircase leading down to the downstairs area, and halfway down we heard this unearthly scream coming from just inside the front door. We both looked at each other and said at the same time, Don't do that! Well, if we both said it at the same time, it wasn't either of us. Well, we took off back up the stairs. Again, these stories are not for kids. Do you hear that? Not for kids. This is the spooky, Halloween, dark and (laughs) frightening episode. Just saying. Next week, we will have spooky stories for the whole family, but not for today's episode. Trust me. There are similarities to the stories that we have here for you. Murderous men and smart women, told by two murderously good female storytellers. Our first is the delightful and wondrous Janice Donegro, who has not just a BA, but an MLS, and a PhD. 
She's an associate professor, but on top of all of that, she is a darn good storyteller and a good writer too. She knows how to pace a story, where to put stresses. Well, she's just a master craftswoman. Are the kids out of the room? Are the lights on? Then settle in to rubies. <laughs> oh, the seduction was so smooth. It happened right beneath their noses, right in front of their eyes, and none of them ever saw what he was doing. Raphael, a traveling trovatore, had been visiting the house for months, singing and telling stories. He did not appear to treat Helene differently from the other young women of the household. He sang love songs to all of them, kissed all their hands, admired all their jewels, especially their jewels. He was like a black-eyed raven, unable to resist anything that glittered, though he wore little jewelry himself, one gold ring set in one pierced ear like a pirate. The cousins thought him most romantic, but it was the daughters of the house who mattered. There were two. Giovanna was the elder, Helene the younger. Both sisters had their choice of sparkling gems to adorn their olive skin and dark hair, but even the costliest gems paled beside Helene's beauty. Only her mother's rubies did her justice. There were bracelets and earrings and dozens of hairpins with shimmering stones set into the tops. But the necklace, ah, the necklace dazzled the eye. Three strands of perfect rubies set in gold. The rubies sat like drops of blood on Helene's hair and throat, and they glittered when she laughed, as if they were laughing too. Afterwards, Giovanna blamed herself. Oh, why did I not see it, she cried. I should have seen it. I was close to her, loved her. I should have known. I should have known. But no one had known. There had been a terrible storm that night. The wind howled in over the sea. The lightning cracked across the cliffs. Giovanna, awakened by the fury of the storm, discovered Helene's empty bed in the empty jewel case. She roused the house. When they found Raphael's bed unslept in, they thought the two had run away together. The brothers were on their way to the stables when Raphael's riderless horse galloped into the courtyard. Raphael staggered in behind and fell to his knees on the stones. He was pulled to his feet by the strong arms of the waiting brothers. He clung to them, desperately trying to catch his breath to speak. I tried to stop them, Helene and her lover. I chased after them. They were on the cliffside road heading for the harbor. But before I reached them, the lightning. Helene's horse ran away with her towards the cliff. They went over, Helene and her horse. Both of them went over. I caught him, the man, but I slipped in the mud and he fled on his horse. I tried to chase him, but my horse threw me and he got away. They could see Raphael was badly hurt. His clothes were muddy and torn, his face bruised, one eye blackened. That golden hoop had been pulled from his ear and the torn flesh bled down the side of his face and neck. 
His story rang with truth. He was weeping as he told it. Forgive me. Forgive me, I was too late. I was too late. He sobbed in Giovanna's arms. The family, in their own sorrow, tried to comfort him. The brothers' search for the lover was futile. They did not even know who they were looking for. Giovanna was sick with grief. She went to her room and discovered what she had missed before, a letter from Helene and their mother's rubies. My dear sister, the letter read, by the time you read this, I will be far at sea with my true love. I thought to use mother's rubies to finance our new life, but found I could not. They belong here, in the house where she was born, with you. Please forgive me. Father would never permit this union. I am so happy. Love, Helene. Giovanna wept until she could weep no more. The rain stopped. The wind changed. Giovanna sat at the window, her head on her arms. She was half drunk with tears when she heard the whisper from the sea. Giovanna. She thought she was mad, but then she heard it again. Giovanna. Giovanna. She put on a cloak and went out into the night. She walked the long, dark road to the cliffs. The moon, buried in clouds, struggled to light the sky. Giovanna stared into the freezing water at the place where Helene had fallen. From behind her, a familiar voice moaned, Giovanna. Helene took form from the mist and the moonlight, but only the moonlight put life in her eyes. She was battered and bruised. Her dark hair was darker with blood, and her shift was torn. Her face, her beautiful face, was pale and swollen, and the water ran from her hair, from her fingers, from her eyes, as if it had no end. Helene, Giovanna moaned. Helene, who was it? Who did this to you? Helene held out her hand. In her palm was a simple gold ring, a golden hoop fit for a pirate's ear. Avenge me, whispered Helene. Giovanna stared past her murdered sister. Behind Helene were the shades of other women with bodies of mist and eyes without light. Helene was not the only one. There had been others. Dawn was brightening the sky when Giovanna walked back to the house, Helene's whisper still in her ear. Sister, avenge me. Avenge us all. Helene's body was never recovered, but the funeral mass was held nonetheless. At the service, Raphael had the eyes of a grieving angel. The young cousins found the Trovatore romantically tragic. 
It was all Giovanna could do not to accuse him right there in the church. Despite the family's hospitable urging, Raphael left immediately after the services, but not before Giovanna obtained his promise to return. It was easy enough. Raphael had seen the necklace around her neck, the rubies she wore as her legacy from Helene. Being the thieving raven she knew he was, she knew he would come back for them, and short weeks later, he did. They met in secret on his return, like trysting lovers. He saw Giovanna as desirable now, she made sure of it, sighing about her loneliness, the rubies warm against her skin. It was a simple matter to bring him to his knees. Raphael chose his moment well, twilight in the rose garden, the scent of sea and blossoms. He had always loved her as a sister, he claimed, but had come to love her as a woman. Giovanna demurred at first, but let him persuade her with promises and poetry. I do love you, Raphael, she lied, but my father would never permit this. Our only hope is to run away together. He was kneeling before her, his head bent over her hands, hiding a sudden smile. Giovanna, my own, do we not have the right to some happiness after such terrible grief? Surely our love is a sign of God's blessing and an answer to my prayers. Oh, his words were dipped in passion and poison. She told him she would run away with him. I will wear as many of my jewels as I can and carry still more, so we will be able to travel far and live well. Tonight, said Raphael. Stone-hearted, Giovanna smiled at him, kissed him, and called him love. In the middle of the night, Giovanna rose from her bed to dress. She did not dress like a lovesick woman running away with her lover, but like a priestess preparing for some dark ceremony. She wore jeweled pins in her hair and bracelets from her wrists to her elbows. Her dress was covered in tiny gems that flashed in the firelight. Around her neck she wore Helene's rubies, dark as blood. Giovanna pulled her cape up around her throat and pinned it with an emerald brooch the size of her fist. Raphael's eyes gleamed when he saw it. They rode out of the courtyard, horses' hooves muffled, along the road that led to the harbor and the sea. Raphael stopped when they reached the crossroad leading to the cliff where Helene had fallen. A moment, he asked. A moment to ask Helene's blessing on their marriage. Giovanna could not refuse him. They dismounted and walked to the edge, his hand on her elbow, so helpful. She drew back. Not so close, Giovanna said. It's such a long way down. Raphael turned and faced her then, his back to the sea. Your sister feared the edge as well, but in the end she died as easily as the six who came before her, and so will you. But you will not take to the sea that which I have waited for so long. Giovanna was still, so still. Your jewels, lady, he said, 
I will have them. Giovanna undid her cloak and it slipped to the ground. The sun was coming up over the edge of the sea and the light caught the rubies around Giovanna's throat and set them on fire. Raphael could not take his eyes from those flaming stones. Giovanna reached behind her head and walking towards Raphael undid the clasp that held the rubies. You want them, she said. Catch them and she tossed the necklace toward the edge of the cliff. With a triumphant cry, Raphael lunged and snatched them from the air. But his triumph did not last long. Giovanna pushed him. He clutched the rubies even as he fell. Raphael was struggling to keep his head above the waves when seven pairs of pale white arms came up out of the sea and took him. There, said Giovanna. Seven brides have you sent to the bottom of the sea, and now you will be bridegroom to them all. Giovanna picked up her cloak and went home, and that night, and every night after, she had only peaceful dreams. Did that make you jump? Or are the chills still running down your back? Today's fairy tale sponsor is Ulysses Cruises. No need to rush on your next vacation. Let time slip by and the local tour guides delight and inform you, waylay and delay you. Experience the excitement of one-eyed psycho-cyclops, or is that cyclopi or cyclopes? Meet and beguiled by Medusa. Dance with dragon's teeth and try out the latest in golden fleece fashion. Take your time. Make your next vacation last ten years with Ulysses Cruises. The captain is to die for. My neighbour, Belinda Bennett, went downstairs with a flashlight after finding one. She got the light on but said there was a terrible smell downstairs coming from around the front door. I went downstairs to see and to check it out for myself and sure enough there was a terrible smell overpowering as if something was rotting there only much worse. I cannot describe the smell other than that it was thick and stuck in your throat like smoke does but it wasn't smoke. The lights were left on for the rest of the night. We discovered much later that someone had hung themselves back in the 1800s from a beam that used to be near the door. We raised about 200 pounds, and apart from the scare, we had a good time. Later, when the building was being remodelled, the whole front collapsed, and after that, the ghost was never heard of again. If you thought Janice's story was creepy, wait until you hear Milbury Birch tell her version of Mr Fox. There are many retellings of this tale, but I think that this is by far my favourite. Turn on all the lights, grab a blanket and a flashlight in case the power goes out, and listen carefully to Milbury's Mr. Fox. In the time when this story takes place, it was the custom for the gentlemen of the village to court the young women, but always there was a chaperone, usually a mother or a father. Now there came to one town a stranger whom no one knew. He was tall, 
with bright red hair and a bushy red mustache, and they called him Mr. Fox, though some folks called him Rainadon. At first he courted each of the young women in the village, until at last his eye fell on one girl, Mary, an orphan. But Mary had four brothers, and whenever Mr. Fox came calling, at least one of her brothers was home to chaperone. At first Mr. Fox came to see her once a month, but after some time he came to see her every week. One day as they were sitting at tea, he said, Mary, I've come to see you so many, many times, but you've never once come to see me. Well, I don't believe I know where you live, Mr. Fox. Ah, I live in an old house in the woods just north of town. Well, that's why, Mr. Fox, the people in these parts think of those woods as being haunted. Do they? Then perhaps I'll just have to come by sometime and take you there myself. But that day never came, and one day, a Sunday, Mary was out walking along the road, picking flowers and daydreaming, you know how it is, when suddenly she realized that she'd wandered off the road and into the woods. She saw that the trees were growing so closely around her that she did not know the way she'd come. But she did not panic. She thought, I'll keep walking until at last I'll come to a clearing and then I'll see the sun and I'll know which way to go back to the village road. So Mary kept walking and she did come to a clearing and beyond the clearing was an old house. Why, that must be Mr. Fox's house. Surely he can tell me the best way back to the village road. So Mary dropped her flowers there and ran across the clearing and up the stairs to the great door and there she knocked upon it and she could hear her knocking echoing in the empty hallway behind, but no one answered. So Mary went down the stairs and around to a great wall of windows, and peering in she could see an empty hallway, but no one stirred. I'll knock again. After all, she thought, he did invite me to tea. So Mary went back to the great door, and she lifted her hand to strike it, when she saw there were words carved above the door, and they said, Be bold. Be bold. Well, Mary felt bold. So instead of knocking, she pressed the latch, and the door opened, and she stepped into the empty hallway. And there before her rose a great wooden staircase, and Mary thought, oh, That is the kind of staircase that a fine lady or a fine gentleman walks down into a party. I know Mr. Fox wouldn't mind, even if he caught me doing it, if I just go to the top of the stairs and turn around and come down again as though I were a fine lady in a beautiful ball gown. So Mary walked to the top of the stairs. But then she saw the second door. That must be Mr. Fox's room. He is such a gentleman. I would love to see what his room looks like. And Mary was drawn to that door. And then she saw that there were words carved above it. And they said, Be bold, be bold, but not too bold. Well, Mary blushed, but she pressed the latch and opened that door. And she stepped into a darkened room, for the curtains were pulled on the far side. Even in the gloom, she could see a four-poster bed with a satin cover, a mahogany bench with velvet cushions, a washstand with a beautiful porcelain bowl. Oh, what a room, thought Mary. And then she saw it. The third door. Why, that must be Mr. Fox's closet. He is such a dandy dresser. I'd love to feel the fabrics that his clothes are made from, and Mary was drawn to that door. 
But even in the darkness, she could see that there were words carved above it, and they said, Be bold, be bold, but not too bold, lest your heart's blood should run cold. Well, Mary felt a chill upon her spine, but her hand had already touched the door, and it opened by itself, and Mary stepped in. It wasn't a closet, for there were no clothes hanging. There was nothing in the room except three tubs, and the one closest to Mary was filled with a dark liquid. Mary put her hand into the liquid and brought it back to her face. (gasps) And that's when she realized that she was smelling human blood. And then she saw that the second tub was full of bones and the last was overflowing with long human hair. Oh, no, said Mary. And she stepped back through the door and closed it and looked about the room to see if there was any evidence that she had been there. And when she saw there was none, she ran from that room and down the hall and down the stairs. When through that great wall of windows, she saw Mr. Fox himself coming across the clearing and he was dragging a struggling girl by her hair. I can't let him find me, said Mary. And she ran down and hid beneath the staircase and tried not even to breathe. And Mr. Fox, he flung that door open and he dragged that poor girl halfway up the stairs. And when she reached out and grabbed the banister to save herself, Mr. Fox, that rained on without missing a step, he drew his sword and hacked her hand and dragged the swooning girl to his room. And the hand toppled over the banister and fell <gasps> into Mary's lap. Well, she gathered up her skirts and ran and ran and did not know which way until at last, somehow, she found herself back on the village road. And that was a Sunday. The next week, when Mr. Fox came calling, Mary made sure that all four of her brothers were home. She sat so quietly that at last Mr. Fox remarked on this, saying, Mary, I've never seen you this quiet. Is something bothering you? And without looking at him, she said, Bad dreams, Mr. Fox. I've been having terrible bad dreams. Well, he said, I've traveled the world and I've heard many dreams. Why don't you tell it to me? Perhaps I can explain it to you. And that's when she looked him in the eye and said, Perhaps you can, Mr. Fox. For I dreamed I was in the woods north of town and I came to an old house Above the door it said, Be bold, be bold. And I was bold, Mr. Fox, for I went through that door and up a staircase till I came to a second door, and it said, Be bold, be bold, but not too bold. But I was too bold, Mr. Fox, for I went through that second door until at last I came to a third door, and it said, Be bold, be bold, but not too bold, lest your heart's blood should run cold. Well, Mr. Fox... The color was draining from his face. Still he managed to say, But it was not so. And it is not so. No, no, that's the way it was in my dream, Mr. Fox. And I opened that third door, and behind it I found three tubs, one full of blood, one full of bones, and one full of human hair, and I ran from that room, Mr. Fox, until I saw you, Mr. Fox, coming across a clearing, dragging a struggling girl by her hair. Mr. Fox, his mouth was a tight, straight line. Still he managed to say, But it was not so. And it is not so. Oh, no, no, no. That's the way it was in my dream, Mr. Fox. So I hid myself beneath the staircase, and you dragged that poor girl halfway up the stairs, and when she grabbed the banister to save herself, you cut off her hand! And Mr. Fox, he stood up from the table and he said, But it was not so, and it is not so. And God forbid that it should be so. And Mary looked at him and said, But it was so.
and it is so. And here's the very hand to show. And from her apron she took the hand and she laid it on his plate. And Mr. Fox, he ran through the door and into the yard. But Mary's four brothers, they followed him there. And there they killed him. But I don't dare tell you how. Lest your heart's blood should run cold. Mr. Fox. Thank you for listening to the Story Story podcast. Show the love and find Janice Del Negro and Milbury Birch on the internet. Tell them that you heard them on the podcast and that you want to hear more of their stories or buy their merch from their websites. You can find Rachel Ann and the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Podcast or Rachel Ann Harding, where you will find the visual candy from the fairy tale sponsor ads and other goodies. Me, I'm on Instagram at Simon M. Brooks and on Facebook and on my website, simonbrooksstoryteller.com. My podcast, funnily enough, Conversations with Storytellers, has an upcoming episode with Milby Birch on it. Check it out. Not yet, because it's not out yet. The beautiful brains behind the fairy tale sponsor is Corey Griffin. Thank you, Corey. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was actually true. The place was Worcester Arts Workshop in Worcester, England, which was a home from home for me growing up, ghosts and all. Check out the ads for the fairy tale sponsors and let me and Rachel know the favourite story you have heard or the favourite stories of your childhood. Go on, do it. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear the stories here soon. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. If you would like to become a supporter of the podcast or discover sponsorship, sponsorship? opportunities you can find links on storystorypodcast.com if it isn't in the cards to support the podcast right now no worries perhaps you would be willing to go write a review on apple podcasts which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the podcast head over to the website and join the mailing list for hidden goodies and if you tune in you'll hear more stories next week but until then live spookily ever after Mary-Kate opened up the door, and there, on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court. I went to see and smell myself. No, I didn't smell myself.